Good morning. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. I, I, I will confess, though, I had to get up extra early this morning to make the long commute from Carlisle, extra 15 minutes. So if I, if I seem a little tired, it's because um, I had to get up so early. I wanted to talk with you, though, about Jonah. Jonah is this incredible man who does something which seems incredibly unwise, and that is he runs from God. Yes, Jonah runs from God. And that may seem like a strange thing to do, but all of us are prone to do the exact same thing to run from God, to run from his will. But here's what you must know if you're going to run from God. If you run from God, he'll chase you. He will chase after you. That's what God will do. God, in his great love, in his incredible compassion for us, will chase after us with a storm. And so before we begin and before we start reading the passage, I'd like to pray, and I want to ask you if you'll join with me, and we'll pray together. Let's, let's go before our Father. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recognize that you are a God of immense power, that you reveal perfect truth, and our desire is that we would sit under the truth of the scripture, and that it would not wash over us, but that it would, it would soak down into us, that we would receive the word of God as it is, living and active, powerful, able to divide bone from marrow, able to penetrate right down into the depths of our soul. We pray that you would prepare us to hear your word and to respond to it. Lord, may you work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before I read the passage, I, I, and I'm only gonna read seven verses out of the whole book, but you may know something about this book, and you may know that there is in this book of Jonah a fish or a whale, and, and that may make the story seem to you implausible. But I wanna just point out that, first of all, we're, we're not going to get to that part of the story today, but secondly, this book has been part of the Holy Scriptures for over 2,000 years. It was part of the Old Testament, part of the Jewish Scriptures, which means that this book has been trusted as a book of incredible spiritual value, and that's what I'd like to present it to you as today, a book of great value, not only historically, but a great value spiritually. And so let me begin reading in, in verse 1, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now let me just pause here to say that God is sending Jonah to their arch rival, and he wants Jonah to leave his home and to travel to this city, this great and evil city, but Jonah's response is no. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And now, just a little bit of geography, Nineveh and Tarshish are opposite directions. And so it's not just that Jonah says no to God, he says no and he runs in the other direction, as the passage says, to get away from the presence of the Lord. How successful was that? Not very. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, 
Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. The first thing to note here in the passage is that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. That's the first verse there. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And my desire and challenge, really a big challenge in front of me, is to get you to acknowledge that in this story, you are either Jonah or you're Nineveh. You're either Jonah or you're Nineveh. Jonah, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're Jonah. And if you are not following Jesus, you're Nineveh. And that may be easier to accept. Hard, I think, sometimes for Christians to accept that in this story, we are Jonah. And there's some reasons for that. Jonah lived over 2,700 years ago. So he's ancient. I mean, he's a great distance from us historically. In addition to that, Jonah lived in a part of the world that's over 5,000 miles away from us. And so Jonah is distant from us both historically and geographically. But maybe the biggest area, which is hard to identify with, is that first verse, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He's a prophet. And so it's hard to say that you and I are prophets. I don't think we're, we're likely to acknowledge that we're prophets. And yet, the word of the Lord has come to us it's come to us in the same way that it has come to Jonah, and in fact, it has come to us with even greater clarity. If you're a Christian, you have received the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord has come to you, and the word of the Lord is saying the same thing to you that, that the Lord said to Jonah. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, we're told this, that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. All that passage is saying is that it's true that at one time God spoke uniquely to prophets. But verse 2 explains where we are in, in the history of redemption. It says this, in the last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. What this passage is saying is that God has spoken to you and to me through his son, Jesus Christ. And he speaks to us through Jesus, not only in the example of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus is the word made flesh. But he speaks to us through the mouth of Jesus. The scripture records the words of Jesus, which are spoken to us, spoken to Christians. And here is what Jesus says to us in Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you notice, the word that the Lord gives to Jonah and the word that the Lord gives to us is the same. It's that same active word, go. Jonah hears the word, go to Nineveh, and Christians, you hear the word, go to the nations. We're being told the same thing. We have the same role and the same function as Jonah. But when Jonah hears this word go, his response is no. He says no, he won't do it. Jonah is not going to go. Instead, his plan is to run. He's going to run from the Lord. And you might ask yourself the question this morning, are you running from the Lord? Are you running from the will of the Lord? Now, Jonah had a good reason to run, and the reason he, he was running from the Lord is because he was concerned that either the people of Nineveh would listen to him or they wouldn't. 
I mean, and you might say, well, those are the only two options, aren't, aren't those? Like, either they'll listen to him or they won't. It's true, but neither option was appealing to Jonah, and here's the reason why. Let's consider, first of all, what if the people listened to Jonah? Jonah is concerned that God is a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. In fact, that's the complaint that Jonah lodges against the Lord. He says, God, you are a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I'm concerned that if I go to Nineveh and I tell them that their evil has come up before the Lord and he's about to overturn them, that Nineveh will respond to your word, they'll turn to you, and that you, out of your grace and your mercy, will have compassion on them, that you will give them grace, and that they won't experience the punishment that they deserve. The reason Jonah wanted Nineveh to be punished is because Nineveh was unjust. They were evil. If I could just pull out one piece of gruesome history, in Nineveh, the practice in war was to take their captives, burn them alive, and then display the skins of the people on their walls and on their pyramids. I mean, these were a brutal people. And the last thing that Jonah wanted was that they would experience the grace of God. So Jonah had a good reason to refuse and to run. He didn't want them to hear and to listen. Now, it could be the case that you've been wronged before. In fact, I know you have. All of us have. Maybe you've been wronged at work. Uh, maybe it is that you work with people who are so difficult, who, who are so hard to be around that you can't fathom speaking to them about Jesus because the truth is you don't want them to respond. You want them to receive a punishment. And that could be the case with friends that you have at school. It could be the case with people who have mistreated you or lied to you. If you're honest with yourself, what you want is justice, not mercy, and not grace. You don't want anybody getting a get-out-of-jail-free card when what they deserve is the justice of God. Last week, I was driving down Route 30, and a young man pulled in front of me. I could not avoid him. I, I crashed into his car, and we pulled over on the side of the road. He apologized. He said it was his fault. The police came. He acknowledged it was his fault. They gave him a ticket, and I thought, well, this is, we'll get this all taken care of. I called his insurance company, and I explained the situation to them, and they said, we're going to contest liability. And I said, well, contest how? Like, for what? What, what did you expect? They said, well, we think you could have avoided the crash. I said, well, how? he pulled right in front of me. If I went to the left, I would have hit oncoming traffic. If I went to the right, I would have gone off the road. They said, well, in looking at Google, Google Maps, we think you could have gone off the road. I said, off the road? I, it, 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 would, it would be impossible. I would have to defy the laws of physics to go around his car at that speed. I said, furthermore, your client admitted that he, he, it was his fault, and he got a ticket for it. And they said, well, nonetheless, we're going to, to contest. And the translation is, this is going to take months and months to get figured out. And I, I, don't, I, I was thinking about this. I don't want to mention the name of the insurance company, so I'm just going to call it regressive um, so that you don't think that it's <laughs> progressive. And maybe the, this company, regressive, is not as bad as Nineveh, although last week I would have argued you on that point. And so I had this, just these emotions of, of injustice, you know, sort of sitting in my stomach. And if, if the Lord had said to me, I want to send you to the company of regressive and to tell them that their evil has come up before the Lord, I, do, I think I would have said, no, I'll go some other direction because I don't want them 
to hear about the Lord and to receive your grace and your mercy. What I want is your justice. I wonder if you've been silent when God has said to you, go. Because what you, if you were going to be honest with yourself, like the prophet Jonah, you want people to pay for what they've done. And Jonah wants Nineveh to pay. So on the one hand, they might listen, that's a problem. But on the other hand, they might not listen. And if I'm just thinking about our modern context, I think our concern is more that people will not listen more than it is that they will listen. And consider this, if Jonah goes to Nineveh, this great and evil city, and he begins to speak this word of the Lord to them, a word which frankly is an offensive word, what are they likely to do? Jonah knows what they're likely to do. They're likely to kill him. They're likely to kill him in the most gruesome way possible. And so Jonah, on the one hand, doesn't want them to receive the mercy of God. On the other hand, Jonah doesn't want to go and die. He doesn't want to go and speak to them this offensive word and to find them annoyed with this puny little prophet that they decide to cut down at the knees. How many of us today have considered that if we speak the offensive word about Jesus, that he requires holiness, that he requires complete surrender, that people would, well, okay, maybe they won't kill us. No, it's likely in this country you will not be killed, but you will be cut off. You have to consider the fact that it's very likely you will be cut out, that you will be cut out of society, that you will be cut out of your friend group, you will be ostracized at work. You, you could be, as, we're, as is popular to say today, you could be completely canceled, and in some ways that feels like a, a death like a killing, a social killing. And, and we don't want that. And so maybe we're silent because we're concerned that, that people won't listen. And so we're running from God. We're sleeping in the belly of the ship. We're sleeping not in the, in the same way that Jonah is sleeping. We're sleeping by scrolling through our devices. We're sleeping by not paying attention to the word of God, which is speaking to us clearly, saying, go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the commands of God. Can you imagine speaking those words to somebody today? Don't you have a sense that they would make you pay? But I have to explain. The other option, of course, is to run from the Lord, to run from his will. And if you run from his will, you will have to pay to run. We're concerned that people would make us pay, but you know you will have to pay to run from the Lord. It's right here in verse 3. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, it says this, So Jonah paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of God. Running always costs you. Running from God is expensive. You cannot run for, for free. You know, my dad was a big runner. He, he ran in marathons and ultra marathons, and I just, I never understood it. Running never had an appeal to me. And the thing that I understood even less than running is paying to run. Several times he qualified for and ran in the Boston Marathon and just sort of out of, I was going to say, you know, financial responsibility for my father. I looked into the price. What is he paying to run in the Boston Marathon? Do you know that it costs just entry fee, not even travel and everything, $205 for the privilege of running yourself into the ground. And so I, I said to my dad, dad. You can come to Carlisle and run for half price. You come, I, it's, I will cut you a deal. 
I, why would you pay to run? And yet you will pay to run from the Lord. The entrance fee for the race away from the Lord is expensive. What will it cost you? Not money. No, it will cost you meaning and purpose. It will cost you those things which money can't buy, like direction. I mean, don't you see Jonah sleeping in, 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 the, in the belly of the ship because he has no meaning and purpose. He's, he's run from it. He has had to pay this expensive fare to run from God. And it's not only that. It's not just that you will have to pay to run from God. It's that God will chase you with a storm, with a storm. Look at the passage. Look at verse 4. It says that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up, to come apart. What is happening here? I'll tell you what's happening. It's this. It's that Jonah is sinning by running from God, and God is chasing after him with his grace. What I'm saying is that the storm is God's grace. God's grace coming after Jonah. I, we tend to think about the storm as angry and violent. And it is violent, but it's not angry. It's loving. This is God in his compassion saying, Jonah, my son, you must listen to me. You must contend with me. You cannot run from me. You cannot hide from me. And even if you try to sleep, I will come and shake you awake. That's God's great love. Oh, in some ways, we like this, that Jonah can run from God because it shows that Jonah has some agency, some free will. Look at Jonah. Look at how he can make a choice. God tells him to do something, and he says no. But God knows what Jonah's doing. He sees. He says, Jonah, I see that you're saying no, but I say, I will come after you. I will come after you. You cannot hide from me. I will find you, and I will bring you into conformity with my will, or you will die. You will either be conformed to my good, pleasing, and perfect will, or you will go down with the ship. Those are the options. Because God loves Jonah and he loves us, he will chase us with the storm and he will command us and insist that we listen to him. I was thinking, though, isn't it possible that you could avoid the storm? I mean, because if we read this in a very literal sense, that if God would chase us with a storm, then I will just stay away from the sea. I'll live in the basement where I can be safe from the storms. But we shouldn't be so naive to think that God only has one tool in his tool belt to confront his wayward children. No, God can send storms of all different types. And I wouldn't be surprised if a storm of God has gathered over you like storm clouds in the past, and even maybe right now. The clouds of God are gathering over you, and you can hear the rumble of the thunder. And, and God is saying, I want your attention, and I want you to focus on the word that I have given you. What, what storms might God send today? How about sickness, depression? Job loss, failure, failure, failure at every turn, bankruptcy, cancer, injury, back pain, car crash, car crash, it could be that. It could be God coming crashing into your life that he's saying to you, I want you to wake up out of this spiritual slumber. And if you catch this in the story, first, the clouds are gathering, the wind is blowing. It has to begin gently. This is God's grace, too, that he comes first knocking at the door of your heart. And it's gentle, almost as if God is using his knuckle. And then as we persist in our disobedience and rebellion, that his pounding becomes a fist and his fist becomes a storm and his storm has lightning and thunder, threatening not just to knock down the door, but to break down the whole house itself. I mean, God is a God of infinite power. He is a God of fantastic holiness and he will not be ignored. He will not be ignored. 
And so I know, though, that the question which we'll have to contend with is this question, does that mean that every time there's some misfortune in my life, that's the storm of God coming after me? Every time my, my neck has a pain, every time my computer freezes up or my car won't start or my leg starts to limp, is that God's storm coming after me? No. No, not in the Jonah sense of the word, although, of course, God is in control of all things. But in the Jonah sense of the word, no, we can't say that every storm is God's grace chasing you. But how would you know then if God is trying to get your attention? I don't want to be trite, but let me just say you'll know. You will know. Jonah knows because Jonah knows when he's running from God, and so do you. You know when you're running from God, and so you will identify when it is that God is beginning to, to, to gather the clouds over your life because he wants to get your attention, and he wants you to contend with his word. He wants you to listen to his word and to respond to it. You'll know. You'll know just as Jonah knew. They woke him up, and he knew that this storm is from the Lord. Initially, you could say that the storm could be explained in meteorological terms. You know, that there was a high pressure collided with a low pressure. It's all very scientific. It can be explained away scientifically. And it's true. The storm, it is physical. It does have a scientific explanation. But it's also specific and it's personal. And to say that, it's, that, that it is physical and scientific doesn't fully explain the storm. I wonder if we're trying to explain away the storms of God using science and, 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 and referencing back all of the physical things that could cause the storm. Like, well, of course I would have aches and pains. I didn't take care of my body. I wasn't good with my money. Yes, these things would happen. I, of course, I, I, haven't, I haven't taken care of things the way that I should. I would experience these sort of storms in my life. That's an explanation for it. It's a physical explanation. It could even be a scientific explanation, but it doesn't deny the reality that God may be chasing after you with his grace that this storm is special, that it's specific to you, and that God wants you to wake up from your spiritual slumber. That is his grace. That even when we're asleep, he doesn't give up on us. He comes after us. And do you see that when God comes after Jonah in the ship, that he imperils the lives of all the people who are with him? All of the sailors' lives are imperiled as well. And at first glance, that seems unfair of God to put Jonah in a ship with people who are innocent, presumably innocent, and yet with God, there's no one innocent. And so when Jonah is shaken awake, he has to realize that unless something is done, not only will he perish, but also all of the people on the boat with him will perish as well. And I'm wanting to bring this out to say that if you are saying to yourself, I'll just ride out the storm. You know, sometimes when these storms come through Florida, there's always a group of people who say, we're not leaving. We're going to stay here. And if you, if you see the storm cloud of God gathering over your life and you say, I'm not leaving, I'm, not, I'm just going to ride it out, you will not ride it out. He will sink the ship and sink it with everybody else around you. It will bring down members of your family. It will bring down people who are your friends. And so you can't be so selfish as to say, well, this only affects me. I will just, I will be defiant against God. No, what happens with Jonah is when they shake him awake, when they make him rise from his slumber, he realizes that something must be done. He realized that something must be done because the sailors have already done everything that they can. 
Do you see that in the passage? They're throwing things overboard because they think that this is just a physical storm, and so they're doing everything that they've been trained to do to survive a storm. They're using all of their nautical experiences to get through the storm, and it's not working. Nothing is working. Even as they've thrown over their valued possessions, still the storm rages and the ship threatens to come apart, and so finally they understand that this is something more than just a storm that caused by meteorological terms. This is a storm caused by God, and they say, we have to find out why this evil is coming upon us. You see, they're noting that there's something spiritual about this. The world that we live in, even if they don't acknowledge God, they understand that some of the problems of the world are, are greater than can be explained through sociology, that there's something happening. And what they're, what they're concerned about is that the Christians would lay sleeping while the world is in the midst of a storm. Do you see that when the, when the captain comes to Jonah and he shakes him awake, he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Arise, call out to your God. Those are the same words which came from God to Jonah. Arise and go. And now God, who has sent the storm, has now sent pagans to wake Jonah up. And, and they're saying the same thing that God said to him to begin with. Arise, get up. It's time to be of action. You see that the unbelieving world is looking at Christians and saying, listen, we don't believe in your God, but we're offended that you appear to be doing nothing, nothing, while we're in the midst of this storm. At least wake up and pray. At least wake up and pray. We're offended at your slumbering through the storm. And isn't it ironic that God would send pagans to wake up sleeping Christians? And when Jonah wakes up, he understands that this storm has come has come for him, that this is the work of God himself, that God wants him to go to Nineveh, and he must go to Nineveh. And now what does he do? This is very interesting. I mean, who would have anticipated this, that what Jonah says to the sailors, he says there's only one way to stop the storm. You know, you've thrown everything over. You've, you've tried lowering the sails, raising the You've tried everything you can think of. And you know, the world is trying everything they can to calm the storm's in this life, and Jonah says, only one thing will work. You must throw me over. I find that just absolutely amazing that Jonah surrenders himself, his life. He says, you have to throw me into the sea. He's willing to surrender his life. He first ran from Nineveh. He wouldn't go to Nineveh because he didn't want either for those people to be saved or for his life to be lost, but now he willingly, do you see this? He willingly gives his life. Can I tell you, this is the same thing which God requires of us, to willingly give our life. Oh, and maybe not your physical life, but your social life. That you would, that you would out of compassion for those who are with you, who, for those who are in the same boat that you are in, even, even for ungodly sailors, that you would be willing to say, I will give my life. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about Jesus, even if it costs me everything, because I must obey the word of God, and because I, I have, if, even though I don't want to admit it, I have a love for the people that God loves, wicked and evil people. God loves them. And he sent Jonah, and he's sending you. And now, if I can, if you'll bear with me as I pivot from this story to Jesus, can I, I point out something about Jesus, and, and that is this, that just as Jonah willingly gave his life, When Jesus 
the word of God made flesh. When he came to earth, he willingly gave his life, and not to be thrown into the sea, but to be nailed to the cross, and then thrown into the tomb. And then on the third day, God in his great power, demonstrating the infinite nature of his power, demonstrating his ability to overcome sin and death, he raised Jesus from the dead. And so when Jesus speaks to us and says, go, go therefore and make disciples of all people, he's telling us to do what he himself has done and he's not sending us out alone. God is not sending us to Nineveh by ourselves in our own strength and our own power, but this God who loves us, who is shaking us out of our spiritual sleep, he is the one who is sending us with his spirit, the spirit of power and of truth. Oh, and not only that, but with the spirit of love the love which Jesus Christ has. You notice in the passage that he describes Nineveh as a great city and an evil city. And this world is a great world and an evil world. And yet God loves this world so much that he sent his one and only son. He loves this world so much he sent his prophet Jonah. He loves this world so much he's sending you and me. Go. Go, therefore, now, if you have been a runner, running from God and paying the price, losing out on a sense of meaning and purpose and direction, I want to explain to you that God has not given up on you any more than he gave up on Jonah. I mean, this is the incredible grace of God that he's pursuing even people who have been rebellious. And God is pursuing you. He's chasing after you. And he's still available to you. And there's only one response. For people like me and, and for, for those of you who have been running from God, we have to realize that the hounds of heaven are after us. These hounds are, are ferocious because they are the hounds of God himself. And the response is for us to fall on our knees before God and to repent, to repent of our slumbering in the storm, to repent of our hardness of heart, to repent of our concern over our own lives and our disinterest for the lives of others to repent and then to receive, listen, the grace of God. To receive the grace of God and to call on God and to go and to do what God has called us to do. If you run, expect a storm. But when you turn to the Lord, even as Jonah turned to the Lord, what we can expect from God is his grace and his mercy because he is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we approach the scriptures, we approach a word which, which is eternal, which never returns void. And so, Father, we pray that this word which we have encountered today would do its work in our heart, that it would change us and transform us more and more into the image of Christ that we would become more like Jesus because we have put our eyes on Christ and we have seen him in his glory and in his grace. Father, we pray that you would give us a great heart, a concern for those around us who don't know you, that we would be willing in the power and the spirit and the love of Jesus Christ to go and to speak about Jesus with others. Father, we ask for this power and for this strength as you hold us tight. In Jesus' name, amen.